Okay, so my name is Kranne, as Emily already introduced. I'm working as a PhD candidate at the Radboud University in the Netherlands. Um, I'm very happy to be here on International Women's Day. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, so today's event is all about academic mobility, and therefore I was wondering um, to know, and interested to hear from you, who has ever been uh, restricted in their academic or in general in their mobility? Um, for example, uh, due to financial, financial, physical, or other restrictions. Can I see some hands? So, quite some, quite some of you. Maybe after the after my presentation, we can discuss some of these issues. Um, and who has encountered such restrictions to come here today? A little. Yes. Okay. So that's. Very interesting, interesting to see. Not that many uh, had uh, restrictions to come here today, but I will um, tell you some about my work and some um, of the implications of restrictions to mobility. So I will present you um, some of my work on inequality practices in the construction of international mobility as a selection criterion for assistant professor positions. And now I'm not sure if you use in the UK the term assistant professor. We do at Warwick. Yeah. Mm. Okay, you do. Okay, perfect. So I don't need to explain. It means lecturer, but um, yeah. we yeah. use that title in this university. Okay, yeah. perfect. Um, and I work together with Marike van der Brink and Yvonne Benchel, who are also uh, at Radboud University. So first, I'll give you a little introduction on the topic. Um, then I tell you something about the method that we used. I show you the results of two studies that I did, and I took out uh, the parts on international mobility for today's presentation, and I will end with a conclusion. So to start, um, and you are probably aware of this since you work in an academic environment or are related to an academic environment, uh, we have seen big changes over the past decades, um, at least in, in Western academia, um, about the way universities are run and the way uh, universities are being funded, which has led to the corporatization or, and neoliberalization of academia. And this has critical consequences, well, for, for all of us, but we argue particularly for early career researchers. Um, because we see an increase in uh, precarious employment, particularly at these early stages of the academic career, such as uh, fixed-term positions, but I think in the UK it's also quite common to work on a zero-hour contract, which is a very precarious position. And then the figures show that women are more often employed, employed on such fixed-term contracts than men. And at the same time, we see that higher education institutions generate increasing numbers of PhDs, while academic positions for after the PhD are not increasing, or no, at least not at the, at the same rate. And they might, in some countries, even be decreasing. Um, so what we see is a strong and increasing competition for only a limited number of academic jobs. And we also see that, there, that the international competition for talent is, uh, is increasing. <coughs> and we argue that recruitment and selection can be key to the inclusion 
um, or exclusion of early career researchers in academia. Because there is decided who gets the opportunities and who doesn't. And for this presentation, uh, I, I, was in, or I picked out the, the importance of international, international mobility in recruitment and selection and the role of that criterion. And I asked the question, is it crucial for an academic career and what does that mean? So with these studies, I want to build on the literature on academic uh, staff evaluation, particularly by showing inequalities that are pr produced in the application of selection criteria during selection procedures. So to move on to the method, how we got to our results. Um, for the past three years, <coughs> I have been working on a European project uh, called Garcia, which focused on um, gender in academia, focusing on the early stages of the academic career. And six European universities were involved, which are listed below, or the countries. And we, in each university that was part of this project, we studied uh, a STEM or natural sciences department and a social sciences or SSH department, because we also wanted to include the more feminized social sciences and also compare across disciplines. So for these uh, the studies that I will present today, um, we used a variety of data, such as HR policy documents, recruitment policies, job postings, so vacancy texts that have been published for assistant professor positions, and we conducted semi-structured interviews and focus groups with selection committee members. And each of the involved universities collected the same data and analyzed the data in a similar way. Um, and I will present you first uh, a Dutch case study, so about one university and the, and the STEM and SSH department of that university, and second, an international comparative um, analysis, so across the six countries that were part of the Garcia project. And the first study, so this is the Dutch um, case study. Um, I didn't only focus on gender, but um, was more interested to see about more broader um, inequalities that come with uh, recruitment and selection. And the particular thing that I looked at was the influence of the macro discourse of internationalization since, well, a lot of higher education institutions use this discourse of internationalization. I think you are pretty much all aware of that. And I wanted to see how that discourse was, if and how that discourse was reflected also in the meso-organizational level, uh, both university level and department level, which we defined as the, the formal recruitment and selection criteria. And we wanted to see if that then also trickled down to the micro-individual level uh, of selection committee members who actually apply criteria during selection procedures. And we were interested to, to find uh, discrepancies between these multiple levels and also similarities. But the discrepancies turned out to be most interesting. Uh, and as I said, and, and I will present them in a, in a in a bit, the inequality practices. 
So to um, start with the, with the findings of this study, the meso-university level. Um, first of all, we found that the discourse of internationalization does not stand on its own, but it's, it's often intertwined with the discourse of excellence. So that internationalization is a condition for excellence. The more international a university uh, is, the, more, the higher the quality is, is often uh, well written down and, and assumed. And I see you smiling, Mark. <laughs> you recognize it. Yeah. Um, and then when we look specifically at the staff selection, we see that internationalization um, is reflected in three ways. The first is um, by increasing the recruitment of international staff. That's an aim of, the, of this university. Second is um, to include foreign experience as a selection criterion for all scientific staff. So that this is really a, uh, should be really a formal criterion, even though foreign experience is not defined. So it just stands there like this, and you can um, well define it basically the, the way you want. It's not explained what the, what the foreign experience should be. And also regarding uh, language, um, this university aims to include English, English language proficiency as a selection criterion as well. And they have a whole language policy um, to increase the level of English of their staff. Then going to the departmental level and starting with the STEM department. Um, we see that internationalization is also reflected on that level. And um, in the STEM department, they have a formal criterion uh, of with regard to internationalization. And they define it as some years of postdoc experience also abroad. So for assistant professors in that department, um, it's a formal criterion that they have to have postdoc experience in another country, some years. So even more than one. And also a good proficiency in English is required. However, also in Dutch. Um, so to speak English is not sufficient, but assistant professors in that department have to invest in learning the local language as well, because they have to teach in a Dutch uh, study program. So within two or three years of their contract, they have to um, they have to be able to teach in Dutch. Then looking at the SSH department, there we do not find that foreign experience or postdoc <coughs> experience abroad is a formal criterion. There's no such uh, mentioning in, in recruitment policies or department policies. Um, and also there is not so, they do not um, uh, spend a lot of attention to to language proficiency, only three out of 18 job postings in that department referred to uh, or had English as a criterion in their vacancy texts. So there you already see a difference between those, those disciplines. Then we go to the individual level. So and we looked at the interviews and focus groups with selection committee members and ask ourselves the question, um, how do selection committee members apply criteria related to, to internationalization? 
So then in the natural sciences department, the STEM department, uh, we also found in the interviews that um, international postdoc experience is a decisive criterion. And this is hardly questioned, questioned by our respondents. So they say, yeah, it's, everyone has to do that and you have to go for a couple of years. It's, it's important. And then there was only one person who mentioned that there could also be alternatives such as uh, conference visits or international cooperation, but from your local location. But he also said that these alternatives are not valued by the faculty board. They want to have that postdoc experience abroad. And therefore, these, he has to abide by those faculty rules. What we also found in the data uh, is intergenerational inequality with regard to this criterion. Because many of the respondents said, well, when I was younger, I didn't have uh, to do uh, a postdoc abroad, so I don't have this experience myself. But they have to hold um, early career researchers nowadays to this criteria. And what this all implies is that experience abroad is superior to experience gained in the home country. And this fascinates me because I, well, they told me why they think it's important to go abroad, but I'm not so convinced myself um, whether experience abroad is really so much different from uh, experience at home, but we can discuss that maybe later. And what I, what I found is that abroad or international is not just abroad or just international. And the following quote um, shows that. So this respondent, this, the person who is, uh, sits in committees, um, you, and I highlighted myself, um, he argued that in the United States or experience in England is, is being valued. He's looking for that when he looks uh, through CVs, for example. And we found this in, in many more accounts and also across other countries, that it's particularly the United States which is being valued and also England. And when you talk about the Dutch case, then Germany is also okay. But what about all the other countries? <laughs> when you have done a postdoc there, it's not so much valued. And, well, that has you can imagine implications for... I like the, or I don't know. Sorry? I like the, or I don't know. <laughs> States, or I don't know, England. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, it's not just abroad, even though the criteria uh, imply that international can just be anywhere. And with regards to language, um, none of the respondents argued that this was an important selection criterion and they kind of, probably they assumed that everyone speaks English and they sometimes said, well, academics are clever so they will be able to learn a new language. They, they often speak uh, multiple languages already, so they didn't consider that a problem. Then moving to the uh, social sciences department, there are, again, there are some differences we found there. Um, as I said, formally, postdoc experience is not required, but also the committee members said that it's not a decisive criterion in, in selection procedures. However, um, 
they do see international mobility as a plus, but then this can be um, conference visits or short-term visits or international collaboration, uh, things like that. And they, they see the, uh, being internationally mobile as a signal of devotion to the profession. So therefore it's, it's a plus if you, if you are mobile. Um, and with regard to language proficiency, we found some, something important here because um, some of the committee members, they make, they make assumptions about the level of English of the applicants that are applying for assistant professor positions. And some, some of them said that they have reservations towards hiring foreign applicants. Um, because then they, sometimes they assume that the level of English, for example, is not so good, and then this is a disqualifier. And the following quote points towards another um, issue with regard to the Dutch language. So this is a, a committee member speaking about an applicant, um, applicant uh, from abroad who had already spent some time in the Netherlands, who had already learned Dutch, but during or in her job, uh, during her teaching, um, she encountered difficulties because students didn't appreciate the accent that she has in Dutch, and therefore her the student evaluations that play a role in, in uh, performance evaluations in the Netherlands, they were not so good, and this hampered her application um, for an assistant professorship. So also here you see how language can be quite a, a tricky thing. So to shortly discuss uh, these findings of, of the first study, um, we see numerous inequalities uh, in the application of, of selection criteria with regard to internationalization. Um, and we, the, we, I will mention three of them now, and some of them I already um, hinted towards a bit, but I will go into a little bit more detail. So the first we called valued or non-valued international experience, and this is particularly related to the uh, STEM department, where they actually want you to have been to the US or to England, but all the other countries are not so much valued. And this, you can imagine, narrows the pool of candidates quite a bit, because the world is so much bigger. Uh, then with regard to language advantage or disadvantage, also re the requirement um, to have uh, English language proficiency benefits some over others. And the assumptions that committee members <coughs> make about the level of English can be quite damaging for numerous um, applicants. So I, I consider this quite an, an issue in, in uh, recruitment and selection. And then the third um, is about mobility opportunities. And I think uh, Christine also pointed to that, is that not everyone is um, able to travel um, for maybe physical reasons, psychological reasons, uh, social reasons, financial reasons, but these to have 
international mobility as a formal selection criterion or a decisive selection criterion assumes that basically everyone can be internationally mobile. Um, and I think that also, th or that this criterion really narrows um, the pool of, of applicants and overlooks a lot of talent who might not be so mobile. Okay, then moving on to my second study. Mm. And this one, um, what I will present is part of a larger study on gender practices in recruitment and selection. But I will uh, present the gender practices in the criterion of international mobility. Um, so again, we looked at uh, early career researchers, and this study covers the six European universities. And I'm not sure if you are all um, familiar with the term gender practice, but this is how we define it. So the intentional or unintentional and often unreflexive way of distinguishing between men and women, uh, femininity and masculinity in daily work situations. And I think when I talk through the findings, uh, this will become more clear. So we labeled this gender practice the gendered construction of the criterion of international mobility. And this is uh, what we found in the, the interviews and focus groups with selection committee members throughout the various countries. So first of all, here as well, um, committee members link international mobility with excellence. So when a candidate has been abroad, um, this candidate is perceived to be more excellent than someone who has not been abroad. But it's also a multi-interpretable criterion, because international mobility, well, can be many things. So, and selection committee members do not agree on uh, how many years one should go abroad, to what countries, or even to what institutions um, one should have been. So this is, if you do not define a criterion, this can also be um, tricky during uh, selection procedures. And then with regard to gender, uh, we found overall in, in, in our study on gender practices that uh, committee members equal women as mothers. Even though not all women are mothers or will be mothers, uh, the variety is not, is not seen. Um, and committee members see this as an issue. And they never refer to men who are or maybe will be fathers. And by um, linking women as mothers, they, they assume that parenthood will create difficulties for women to be internationally mobile. Even though I think that there are numerous studies who show that, that women are uh, as mobile as men. And uh, therefore they expect women to be unable to meet the selection criterion. So this can already impact the way they look at resumes, for example, or impact um, who they will invite to apply, uh, because it impacts perceptions as, uh, of women as suitable candidates for these assistant professorships and also for postdoc positions. So to uh, discuss this, um, these gender practices also with regard to 
to the criterion of international mobility has serious uh, consequences for, or can have serious consequences for women candidates. And the, the people that we spoke to, they do not reflect on that. They have no awareness um, of these assumptions that they have. Um, and they put the responsibility of yeah, on the individual woman researchers. She has to manage, she has to make sure that um, she meets the crit the, our criteria because we want uh, people to be internationally mobile. So they, it's not, uh, they do not see any responsibility for them there, but it's the individual woman who has to make sure that she lives up to all the criteria. So as a conclusion, of my presentation. Um, well, I've shown, um, and you might also be aware of that from your own work environment, that the, the criteria for early career researchers are increasingly demanding, also with regards to international mobility. And this criterion of international, international mobility creates multiple inequalities that are often overlooked. And this criterion um, narrows the, the pool of candidates that you can select from. And it leaves, um, that's our conclusion, it leaves uh, selection committee members with the narrow definition of the neoliberal epidemic. Thank you very much. <laughs>